Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the Inflation Reduction Act looks poised. Uh, well, it'll be a, an interesting day tomorrow. It'll be a three-ring circus of uh, Votorama and a host of other things. The bill, of course, has been uh, praised by many on the left. It's been criticized by those on the right. Uh, it's been assessed uh, by neutral parties saying it doesn't really do anything in terms of inflation other than maybe going up a little in the first two years and maybe slightly down about the same as zero uh, in the years that follow. But there's been one group, this is a think again moment, there's been one group that's been surprisingly supportive, big oil. BP America, in fact, applauded lawmakers for making progress towards a historic climate deal. Uh, but that's one of those headlines that you just got to get behind the statement to see why is it uh, that uh, this group is so excited about the Inflation Reduction Act. And so to help us break that down and figure out what's behind the headline, Josiah Neely, the Texas Director, Resident Senior Fellow at the R Street Institute, joins us on the line. Josiah, one, thanks for joining us on a Friday. And what is it? This is a 725-plus page bill. Uh, and why is it that the oil companies uh, seem to be happy with this one? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, $700 billion, 700 pages, so I guess it's a billion a page. Um, but uh, there are a couple things uh, to note about why the oil companies might be favorable to this bill. One thing is uh, Exxon, BP, some of these places, they ha- have not been totally opposed to action on climate. Uh, Exxon is for a carbon tax, for example, so it's not that out of keeping. Uh, they're not. They don't view it as. They're not that allergic to any sort of action on climate. Mm-hmm. But I think the bigger answer is that there's some stuff in this bill uh, that is favorable towards the oil and gas industry. Uh, Mansion and you know, in order the sweeteners to get this passed, uh, requires in the bill that uh, there's a lot of areas that are going to be opened up for leasing, uh, for drilling in the Gulf and Alaska, other places like that. And then another another thing that uh, I think the oil and gas folks wanted is it ties um, the ability to lease offshore wind in the future on federal land mm. to federal leasing for oil and gas. So if you're going to try and have new offshore wind projects, you got to allow new oil and gas projects on federal land and vice versa. Uh, during the Trump administration, they wanted to do oil leasing, but not wind leasing. So linking those together, that's something I think that the oil and gas folks uh, would would quite like. 
and opening up new leases areas as well. All right, let's let's dig into some of those because that's really interesting. And I'm I'm really glad you pointed out the fact that many of these uh, energy companies uh, really are looking at hey, if there are things we can do to help the the green side, the climate side of this, uh, we can balance those things. Uh, and I think that's an important thing to, to keep in mind. We we too often just put everybody into their corner and and kind of prevent the uh, the false choice. Uh, and so I, I appreciate you raising that. That yeah, there are some things that that do make sense and that uh, they have been behind historically. Uh, in terms of some of the uh, issues around climate and stewardship of the land, uh, and then I also want to dig into to some of these things uh, around the, the the regulatory scheme and uh, some of those things that have been uh, tough things for energy companies to to deal with over the years. Uh, and then the the real complexity of it. And here's my question to you, Josiah: Is this seems like a really tough balancing act, uh, especially as it relates to some of those on the left? Uh, in terms of what this actually means, uh, in terms of some of this permitting, this uh, drilling in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico, uh, are is this going to be one of those where nobody's happy in the end, or is this going to be uh, the art of compromise? Yeah, it's definitely the art of compromise. Uh, you know, there's stuff in here that I'm sure gives some environmental groups heartburn. But one thing I think has been a little sobering uh, for a lot of folks is we've seen with the war in Ukraine and the rise in gas prices and oil prices from that, you know, the Biden administration had, had cut off leasing in a lot of areas. They were trying to move people away from fossil fuel use. And, you know, when that happens, the prices go up. First thing that the Biden administration says is, okay, well, we, we need to encourage more, more production of oil. So I, I do think that there is, you know, kind of, uh, that was a little sobering for some people that, no, you can't just turn off the spigot uh, uh, for oil and gas. It's a, you know, people talk about an energy transition. that's supposed to be a transition, not a sharp, sharp break. So I think that probably uh, helps, you know, reconcile people maybe a little bit uh, to the fact that, yeah, there are some things in here that that uh, uh, environmental folks may not like, but there's also some things that they'll like and vice versa with the with the oil uh, and gas industry. So that's kind of the way sausages get made in and in, 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 in with, the, you know, when and if they do in our system. Yeah. And that's an important part of, of that whole process. Uh, one of the, the things I wanted to, to have you touch on and, and just uh, tease out just a little bit, and that is. Uh, on some of these uh, drilling rights, some of this regulatory stuff, uh, sadly, it's been kind of an administration to administration uh, stroke of the pen executive action. So will this bill yeah. bring some stability in terms of that so that, uh, you know, energy companies can have a, a plan or be able to prepare? Uh, what does this do in terms of some stability and confidence to to move forward? Yeah, that's right. I, you know, we have seen this is a general trend is that as Congress does less, uh, more and more gets done by executive action. And that means there's less stability because you get a lot more swings as you move from Democrat to Republican administrations. And we've certainly seen that with the leasing. You know, as I mentioned, you know, on the, the, the oil and gas leasing, you know, if it's a Democratic president. Uh, that gets prohibited on federal lands. You know, they try and cut that off, but they do like leasing for renewable energy. 
And then during the Trump administration, you kind of saw the reverse of that. If you have another Republican administration absent this bill, you might see that again. So, yes, I think this does, you know, one of the advantages of having Congress do, uh, you know, legislative enactments as opposed to try to do executive orders is it does bring more long term stability and predictability to the area. And, And that can be very important. You know, for all sorts of different energy sources, I, I you know, I think it's probably there. Pro- you know, I'm sure that the the wind folks probably uh, would like this bill for for other reasons, but I'm sure they don't mind linking the two themselves because they know, you know, there's going to be Republican presidents in the future, and they don't want to be held hostage to that. Yeah, and I, I I do love the fact that they've tied together the the leasing on federal lands to to both wind. Uh, as well as to to some of that drilling in, in some of those spaces. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this, you know, one thing I think is clear of this bill is just how uh, complicated some of these deals have to be to get past this. Uh, you know, we've talked about a couple of provisions uh, in this bill, but there's all sorts of stuff in here just in the energy and environment space and even beyond that, they're talking about prescription drugs. They're talking about the IRS. There's there's plenty of things for for people to love and hate, yeah. <laughs> depending on where you are in the bill and <laughs> how you come down on the on the overall package. You know, that's I think each each of the senators uh, is going to have to you know do their own assessment. Uh, but it is complicated. It, it, yeah. It's a kind of um, you know complicated uh, uh, tit for tat trade that you have to anything passed in Congress these days. Yeah, uh, great insight, Josiah Neely, Texas Director, Resident Senior Fellow at the R Street Institute. Josiah, thanks for helping us uh, break all that down as we roll into what will be a fascinating 48 hours as they get this bill down to the floor. Thanks for joining us today. That's Josiah Neely, again, uh, from the R Street Institute. And again, there's 725-plus pages uh, in this bill that will be taken up tomorrow. There'll be uh, lots of votes. We're going to break this down with our friend James Walner coming up at 235 so you can see how it will play out. Uh, but this is an interesting one. Again, it's an, it's an important bill, uh, and the fact that you have some of the energy companies saying, yep, we can sign on to that, uh, is a really interesting indication. So a lot of haggling, a lot of behind the scenes. Uh, I hope it all gets in front of the scenes and in front of all of us before they take a vote over the weekend. That wraps up hour number one. Stay with us. More Inside Sources coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.